Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you us as a church to you that he has chosen you for a work, an assignment that he has been preparing you for such a time as this that like Elijah he is raising you up to use you to confront the powers that be That there will be battles on Mount Camel, but he will never fail to answer as the God who answers by fire. The Lord says when you get weary, he will be there to strengthen you. The Lord says that you should prepare in advance with sounds of joy and rejoicing for the Lord says what he has purposed to do he will do Father we thank you Lord we bless you there's a sense that I get for this season that comes out of the picture the Bible paints in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding, some translations say, over the face of the, of the waters. And the sense I get of this season that you're entering is one of the Holy Spirit. It's a graphic picture that I have in my mind. Of, and the Holy Spirit is not a bird, but it's a symbol of Him. I get this picture of Him brooding over your life, brooding over families, and brooding over the church and brooding over the nation. And when you think of brooding, you just get this picture of a bird flapping its, its wings slowly. And you get this tingling in your spirit that has accompanied my prayer time literally every morning. I described it to my friend, Pastor Gandhi. I think it was him. And I described it to my wife, Shola, as things that are happening under, just in the ways a tsunami happens. For miles and miles and miles, the waves are traveling under the surface, hidden from the eyes 
the natural eyes of men and women. And no one knows that something is building up until at the appointed time it rises to the surface and becomes the terrifying waves that we see um, that, that, that are the herald of a tsunami arriving. And because we are spiritual beings, we can sense spiritual things. And I'm sure I'm speaking to people who have already sensed that there's something that's happening. There's a sense of excitement, I feel, spiritually, that the, the waters are gathering, hidden from the eyes of men and women. But God reveals it to his children by his spirit. The spirit of God is hovering, is, is brooding. The wings are flapping and with each flap, the waters are increasing in velocity and speed. And I sense this period that we set ourselves up as apart to spend with God, fasting and praying, will be so critical and crucial, so life-changing. And I hope you will key into it. Hallelujah. Amen. Part two of our series on the Holy Spirit. The most important person on earth. The relationship with him, the most important relationship we can ever have. In the plan of God, the one who executes the agenda of heaven at this point in time. So how come then, we must ask ourselves, is he the least understood of the Trinity? We get the Father. We get the Son. But how come the Holy Spirit is the least understood of the Trinity? How come with all that he brings, if the truth be told, for large parts of the church, we have made him redundant? I think it goes to concepts and not grasping fundamental concepts. And the result of that is some degree of confusion that doesn't allow us to take full advantage of what God has planned and purposed for his people, for you and I, through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And it can't be because Jesus did not do his job. In introducing him to us, in telling us what he was going to do. But then like the disciples, our attention was on other things. For you know the story out of John the 16th chapter, where he had told the disciples that he was going. 
And that, of course, had shocked them because they had enjoyed him being there. The proximity that they had with him. Watching him perform all these amazing miracles. Learning from his wisdom, his teachings. Being discipled in that way by him. And then here he comes now talking about going away. And he could see that in their countenance. And I'm sure he could also discern it spiritually. And he says to them, in John the, 15th, the 16th chapter, verses 5 to 7, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, of course, you know, a chapter before, Peter had asked, whether, whither thou goest. So it wasn't a question of, um, none of you ask, where are you going, in terms of uh, them. It, what he was saying is, aren't you concerned about the next stage? Why don't you ask me what is happening? What is heaven's plan? What's heaven's agenda? This thing I'm talking about, going, why don't you find out what it really means for you? He says, instead of that, sorrow has filled your heart. He says, in any case, Nevertheless, despite the fact you haven't asked, despite the fact you haven't sought to understand, despite the fact that you are distracted by what you have heard and now consumed by sorrow, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He says it's to your advantage. This is the truth. It's to your advantage that you key to the agenda, the plan of the kingdom of God. And in that plan, it is time for me to go to move things to the next stage so that when I go... He will come. The Amplified Classic says, I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable. It is good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. You don't understand it because you don't understand the timetable of heaven. But in the timetable of heaven... If you understood, you would, be usher, you would be asking me to go quickly because I need to go for us to move to the next stage. And it, the next stage is for you. It's in your interest. It's expedient. It will profit you that I go. Because when I go, we can then send him according to our plan to come into close fellowship with you. But if I don't go, he won't come into close fellowship with you. He signposts the goal of heaven. I am going because we need to move in the agenda of heaven into a season of intimacy, close fellowship with the Spirit of God. And of course, you know the story. He actually went as he said. Like we said last week in Acts, the first chapter, the ninth verse, ninth, tenth, and eleventh verse, the disciples actually saw him going. 
physically departing. And two angels told them, just as you have seen him going physically, he will also come back physically. That's confirmation about the second coming of Christ. But the question now is, where is he now? These are some of the important concepts that we must grasp. It will change completely how we relate to the Holy Spirit. Where is he now? As I prepared, I was amazed that there are more than a hundred scriptures, more than a hundred scriptures that make reference to where he is now. I was actually taken aback at the overwhelming number of scriptures that try to get us to understand where he is. And I understood by the sheer weight of the evidence that this is a fundamental thing to our Christian walk that God wants us to grasp. For he came, he ministered powerfully for three and a half years, he died a gruesome death on the cross, but he was resurrected on the third day, and in his last speech, last conversation, with his disciples, John the 16th chapter, he had told them that I'm going, but I'm going according to the plan so that we can send the third person, another part of us, to continue the work that I'm doing, but at another level. And then they saw him go physically. They were not told they witnessed it. He was carried away before them in a cloud. And the angels confirmed what they had seen so that they knew they were certain it wasn't uh, a figment of their imagination. The angels said, why are you just standing here staring, dumbfounded, struck by what you have seen? The same way that he has gone is the same way he's going to come. So where is he now? 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 22. A couple of scriptures. Please take notes. The, the next so many weeks will be, will be a lot of teaching. Take notes. You can't remember everything. The apostle Peter says concerning him, who has gone into heaven and has, is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Where is he gone? Peter tells us he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels, authorities, and powers have been made subject to him. The writer of Hebrews says it again in Hebrews the 10th chapter and the 12th verse. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. So where is he? In heaven. Where is he in heaven? 
at the right hand of God? What is his posture in heaven at the right hand of God? Sitting at the right hand of God. Of course, we know that he stood up to welcome the matter Peter, uh, Stephen to heaven. Because Stephen says, I see the Son of God standing on the right hand of God. In acknowledgement of Stephen's sacrifice for the gospel, he stood up. But I'm so certain that as soon as he did that, the Bible makes us understand he's seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. Mark 16 verse 9 buttresses this. So then after, Mark 16 verse 19, pardon me. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. The significance of those three or four scriptures I shared and the more than a hundred scriptures is critical to a successful, victorious Christian walk and to our understanding of the timetable of heaven and the ministry of the Holy Spirit at this point in time. The significance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after his ministry here on earth was over. After he went to the cross as, as planned. After he was resurrected by the Spirit of power, the Holy Spirit, as planned. After he was received into the clouds, as planned. He then goes to where the plan said he should go to. And he gets there, the right hand of God, prepared for him as planned. And then he sits down. The posture is important as planned. And when David received a revelation of this, David declared it in the Psalms that God has made him sit on his right hand until he makes his enemies his footstool. And the symbolism of all this is not lost on us. The symbolism of the, 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 the fact that this tells us his ministry on earth is over. He's not here anymore. He does not do ministry on earth anymore. The symbolism of him sitting down tells us that it is finished. If we didn't understand it when he said it at the cross, surely we must grasp and understand it because his posture tells us that. You don't sit down in that way except it is finished. The encouragement to us as Christians that his assignment is over. It is finished. That Jesus Christ is not doing ministry anymore on earth. That in the timetable of heaven, he has done his part. 
left us with some, some mind-blowing things. The finished work of Calvary. The na his name that opens doors. But he is seated in heaven on the right hand of God. Whilst his ministry on earth is finished, his ministry in heaven continues. And someone might say, what is he doing in heaven as ministry? Two things. Again, this is fu fundamental to us understanding our faith. And this is fundamental to us living victorious lives. Understanding that he has finished it here on earth. It's also funda fundamental to understanding that there's an exchange of the baton that has taken place. And if we're expecting Jesus to come and do the ministry here, he's saying, no, my time is, is over. It's finished. I've gone. I'm seated in heaven. I'm not doing ministry on earth anymore. I've given myself to two ministries in heaven that will assist you in what you're doing. What are the two ministries in heaven? Number one is the ministry of representation. He's seated on the side of God and he represents us. You know, the same way uh, you get a lawyer to present your case. And you say the lawyer is representing you. You don't have to be there. In a lot of court cases, you don't even have to show up. And even if you show up, you don't say anything. Because somebody who is more accomplished, who understands the protocol of the court, who is schooled in the art of making those presentations, is doing a better job than you in presenting your case. So what is the ministry he does? The ministry of representing us. Hebrews, the 8th chapter. It says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. <laughs> he says, it's the main point of the things that we are saying. This is, this is the important thing of all the things that we have said. It's critical. It's crucial. It's important that you understand it. It is the main point of the things that we have been saying. Uh, the Passion Translation says, now this is the crowning point of what we are saying. Significant words. It tells us that what the Bible is about to say is so fundamental to our walk with God. This is the main point, the Bible says, of the things that we have been saying. And it goes on to say, we have, the main point of the things we are saying, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. God is saying, the Bible is saying to us, ministry for Christ is not over. It's just that he's not ministering on earth. 
He's exchanged batons with the Holy Spirit to continue on earth. So if we're waiting for him to come and do ministry here, that's the frustration of a lot of the church. So the Bible makes it clear to us. Now, the Bible says it's a main point. It's the crowning point. You if you don't understand it, you can't move further. And what is it that we have to understand? That he's a high priest in the sanctuary of God in heaven. He's a minister in the sanctuary of God in heaven. A sanctuary, a tabernacle that was not made by man, but was made by God. So there's ministry going on. And when you look at verses 2 to 4 in the Passion Translation, it puts it so clearly for us to understand. It says about him. He says, he serves in the holy sanctuary in the true heavenly tabernacle set up by God and not by men. Since every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so the Messiah also had to bring some sacrifice. But since he didn't qualify to be an earthly priest, he wasn't in that lineage, and there are already priests who offer sacrifices prescribed by the law, oh God, he offered in heaven a perfect sacrifice. So guess what happens in heaven? He keeps going before God with himself. And he says to God, I paid the price for them. I was hanged on a cross for them. My blood was shed for them. He's doing this every minute, every second. That's why you and I haven't been destroyed. Because his ministry is effective in heaven. When we err and judgment should come, guess what happens? He represents us. He just goes before God like an advocate. Hold the judgment. Hold the judgment. Because I paid a price. The perfect sacrifice. I'm here. Look at me. I'm representing her. I'm representing him. That's why judgment hasn't consumed you or, you, or, you, you or consumed me or consumed you. Because his ministry is in heaven is continuous representing us as the high priest. So we don't have earthly high priests. And the picture is very clear if you understand how it worked in the Old Testament. The high priest would go in at prescribed times on behalf of the nation on behalf of the people, and he would make sin offerings. But guess what is happening in heaven? This high priest does not take a sin offering or a gift. He takes himself before the Father and says, I'm the sacrifice. I'm the perfect sacrifice. I'm representing her. Yes, she has erred, but please, can my sacrifice make an atonement for her? And what's his second ministry? The second ministry is one of intercession. So one of representation. You know, when he represents you, he doesn't really have to say much. <laughs> you know, he speaks for himself. He just, guess what, what Jesus, he just, he just, just there. That's your representation, that he's there. 
How many know that sometimes some people are a reminder of certain things? Does this make sense? Yes? They don't have to say anything. They are just a reminder. He's in heaven constantly reminding as your representation. But then the second ministry he does is he's in the ministry of intercession. Oh, God. Think about it. That it's great when we can have some people interceding for us. Some people we look up to. Some people we know have a, a Christian work that commends itself to us. They pay the price. They sacrifice. And when they say to us, I'm praying about that matter, or I'm praying for you, how many know such people, when they say that, it kind of just steadies your heart. Forget all of such people. What should give you joy now is that our Lord and Savior himself is your intercessor in heaven. He's sitting on the right hand of God. Proximity is what makes intercession powerful. Access is what makes intercession powerful. He has proximity, as proximate as you can be, sitting on the right hand. He doesn't have to move to intercede for you. He just has to lean over and whisper in God's ears. Access he has unlimited. He is there, seated on the right hand. And that's what Paul was trying to get the Romans to under, the church in Rome to understand. Romans 8 verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. It makes our Christian work exciting that you're not alone. Even if no one else is praying for you, Christ is praying for you. The Passion Translation of that scripture says, Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the Anointed One. That's how you know every condemnation comes from the pits of hell. Anything that condemns you, pits of hell. God never condemns his children. He can convict us, but never condemnation. It says, for he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Every battle you're in, the intercessors here on earth might forget. They might sleep because they are human. But there's an intercessor in heaven who never forgets and who never sleeps. Who is praying for you 24-7, the Bible says, so that you can triumph in that battle. It makes you ready for battle. And you know, the writer of Hebrews brings his two ministries together. Hebrews 7, 25 to 26, and I read this out of the Passion Translation. So he is able to save fully from now throughout eternity, everyone who comes to God through him, because he lives 
to pray continually for them. That's what he lives for. He is the high priest who perfectly fits our need. We need that one. That's why he had to go. That's what we never understood. Who perfectly fits our need. Holy, without a trace of evil, without the ability to deceive, incapable of sin, and exalted beyond the heavens. So, let me bring it home. God looked at this whole thing and thought, you know what? For Agu to make it, considering how messed up he is, completely dysfunctional, one of us needs to go. And Jesus put up his hand and said, you know what? For our agenda, because we love Agu so much and we want him to make it, I'll go. The Holy Spirit writes it for us in the book of Revelations. And the way he writes it is he says, he was slain from before the foundations of the earth. Those were, that was the, 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 the secretary, the paraclea, taking notes. What was he writing? He was writing conversations that happened before the earth was created. Where God saw into the future and saw that there'll be this boy, Agu. I have a plan for his life. But the boy is going to go astray, completely messed up. Going, the, the enemy is going to have him. But I love him so much that I have to make a way back for him. What, what's the way I can make back for him? Somebody has to take on his sin. Somebody has to pay the price because otherwise I've got to kill him. Because the wages of sin is death and I'm a fair God. If you wrong me, you must pay the price. They were having this meeting. God was meeting with himself. And so Jesus said, you know what? I'll go for him. So Jesus came. And then eventually went to the cross and died on the cross for Agu. And the Spirit urged Agu. And Agu received the gift of salvation from him. So Agu was now right before God. Still dealing with stuff, but right before God. And growing in that rightness, that mach not even the rightness, growing in maturity towards the image of Christ. But the price has been paid for him to be right before God. And so God says, okay, now I need someone, because he's not perfect, he's going to make mistakes. We need someone here who can constantly remind me of what was done for him. So Jesus says, I'll come back. But then, if you come back, how does Ago continue the work? And how do we make sure that the work is even stronger in him? The enemy can't get him. So the Holy Spirit says, I'll go. And I'll live inside him. And if I'm inside him, and he works with me, he'll fulfill all the plans and purposes we have for him. Give God a clap offering, please. That's why Jesus said it is to your advantage that I go. Because there's some work to be done in heaven that no one else can do apart from me. There are some battles ahead 
I need to be positioned in a place of intercession for you. I need to constantly present the perfect sacrifice that I am on your behalf. So I have to go. And it's even better for you that I go because as long as I'm here on earth in my bodily form, I am limited in what we can do. Somebody says, that sounds sacrilegious. Jesus is limited. Yes, in his bodily form. He's limited. He's limited because he was in his bodily form with the disciples, but he wasn't inside the disciples. He wasn't living inside them. He was living with them. How many know there's a world of difference when he's living with you, sleeping in the same house as you? There's, that's totally different from when your body becomes his house and he's living inside you. So he says, this is limited. We want to move from phase two of the plan to phase three. Guess what? The disciples were saying, let's stay in phase two. The church is saying, let's remain in phase two. And the kingdom is saying, but phase three is where we go to to wrap up the ages. So he says, it's to your advantage that I go. Because when I go, I'll send another one, a helper. Because you need help. And he's going to come and stay inside you. That's why the Bible says in John 14 verses 18 to 20. I promise, this Jesus saying, that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. This Jesus speaking to them, saying, it's okay. We've got it covered. They were saying, don't go, don't go. He said, no, we've got it covered. We're just moving to phase two, phase three of the plan. He says, don't worry, I won't leave you helpless or abandoned. He says, I'm coming back to you. They're wondering, how are you going to come back to us? He's come back to us as he promised. It's not the second coming, no. The Trinity is one. When he said, I will come back to you, what he meant was that when I go, we will send the Spirit. The Spirit is me because with the three of us are one. So I am back to you and now I live inside you. Your body is my temple. That's what Paul was saying to the, the Corinthians. Your body is the temple of God. He kept his promise that he would come back. The tragedy is that he has fulfilled his part. He's back. He's in us. We don't have to follow him bodily anymore. He is taking residence in us. Now all we've got to do is now build that close fellowship and intimacy. What the disciples had when he was here in a bodily form, we have it in a better version. This is, this is Mark, Mark 3. Because now he says, don't worry. That was just to show you what it's like. Now I'm coming to live inside you. And when I live in you together, we can now fulfill God's plans and God's purposes. Does this make some sense? Amen. If, if that made some sense, go on, give God a clap offering. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This season is exciting, 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 exciting exciting. I feel a stirring in the spirit. I feel God saying, are you, do you really want to? You want to enter that dimension? Do you really want to? Hallelujah.
Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name and exalt you. Sweet Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. Help us to know you like we should. To be intimate with you like we should. Help us to be submitted and yielded to you like we should. Help us, Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone watching and he's not living in you, He hasn't taken residence in your heart. You don't have the opportunity to start to build that intimacy. You haven't even taken advantage of the ministry of Christ in heaven. Even now, he's already praying for you that you will open up your heart and receive him in. He's in the ministry of intercession, interceding for you. You can spurn his intercession, reject it, neglect it. Or you can open up your heart and receive the benefits of his prayers in heaven. The Bible says, praying continually for you to be saved. And if you would like to do that, to welcome his spirit into your heart, into your, your life, your body as the temple of his spirit, to take advantage of the benefits of his prayers for you in heaven. To come into a relationship with his father. If you'd like to do that, will you just open up the door of your heart and invite him in? And someone says, how do I do that? It's, it's simple. It's not a religious exercise. It's a simple thing to do. You've just got to invite him in. He takes words very seriously, especially when you mean the words and he knows you mean the words. And so why don't you just do that? Invite him in. And if you want to invite him in, I'd love to pray with you. Why don't you just say this prayer with me? You're in this worship center. You're listening on any of our platforms anywhere in the world. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Will you open it and allow him to come in? And if you want to do that, then just say this simple prayer with me and mean every word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross for me. Today, Lord, I receive him into my heart, into my life as my Lord and Savior. I make a commitment to live a life that is pleasing to you and to him by the help of your Holy Spirit. I welcome your Holy Spirit now as he takes residence in my life, my heart, my body as his temple. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for delivering me from sin Thank you, Holy Spirit, for ushering me into a relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. By faith, I now make a declaration that I am a child of yours, that today I've been born again into your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, congratulations if you said that prayer. Welcome 
to the family of God. If you are here and you said that prayer, welcome to the family of God. The clapping is because your family is welcoming you to the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen and amen. I have a couple of things um, before I hand over to Pastor Ayo. Um, just wanted to say that um, we will be fasting for 40 days uh, from the 1st of November till the 10th of December. Um, the way we do our fasts here, we, we encourage you to be led by the Spirit. We set a general framework. So in that general framework, um, we'll be asking that people, the, the, the one end of the framework, um, people are abstaining from food till 6 p.m. as part of the fast. Uh, the other end of the framework, um, people are abstaining from food totally uh, for the 40 days. Um, and settle yourself where you find yourself. I would just encourage you uh, the way that the Lord encouraged me when the Lord said to me, let's see something new in your prayer and fasting. Enter uncharted territory. We've never been this way before. Unprecedented times, we say, the, most, the response from a Christian must be unprecedented prayers. So I want to encourage you to push the boat further than it, than it, has, than it has ever gone in your life. This 40-day fast is so pivotal. There's a, there's a, 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 a trembling that is taking place underneath the surface and it's going to burst out and so you want to be a part of it. And what are we, pray, what are we praying for? Uh, the general thing we're praying for is the birthing of the new, um, as God has spoken to us in the nations, in the church, in our families, and in our lives. Um, the, 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 the overall theme is for the Spirit of God to break out in the nations. Spirit break out in the church. Spirit break out in families. Spirit break out in my life. We're believing God that what we're sensing underneath will reach a crescendo and that, and that there will be a, the, the bursting of the dam and the water of the Spirit will gush out into the nations, into the church, uh, into your families and into your lives in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's go for it. Of course, there are the usual um, 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 things we say in terms of conditions. If you're on medication, please make sure you seek medical advice as to what kind of fast you can go on. If you're pregnant or a nursing mother, uh, we advise that you don't engage in that kind of fast where you're abstaining from food. Um, you can find some other way to join the spirit of, 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 the, of that period of fasting and praying. And for the period we're fasting as a church, we will meet at 6 a.m. in the morning. It's 6 a.m. That's the correct time. 6 a.m. in the morning for one hour on our prayer platform. Um, those who are watching who are not members of this church and you want to join, it's not a Jesus house fast. We're actually throwing it out to those who have a burden for the nations, for the spirit to break out in the nations and break out in his church um, to, to join. Um, and we'll meet at 6 a.m. to pray for one hour. And then we'll meet at 7.30. Uh, I initially said 7, but it's 7.30 um, in the evenings the, the, to pray for one hour. Now, the 7.30 meeting is going to be virtual, um, but I will do it from here. I'll do 
the, I'll do the 30 days of it. I will run the, I will, I will facilitate the 30 days from here. Which means that if you want to come and join me to pray here, you're welcome to. Um, as many as show up at 7.30, I'll, I'll be broadcasting it from here. And it, it helps if I have brothers and sisters who are praying with me as we broadcast to the world. So you're welcome to come here um, to Jesus' house and join from 7.30 to 8.30 every day for the entire month of November. And then the last 10 days, we will go into a secret place. Each person encouraged to go into a, a secret place for a one-on-one -on -one with God for the last 10 days. Uh, that's, that's the way God has laid it on our hearts. So let's look forward to it. It promises to be um, an, an absolutely awesome, amazing time with God. Amen.